0: Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. Six verses is all we're going to cover today, but there is so much in here. And like other passages in scripture, to really fully understand the the whole setting of this uh, specific passage today, we're going to have to understand the context. And we're going to have to kind of do a backstory as well as uh, future events as well to really get the full significance of this. And really, this is on the heels of what we had talked about last week. And it's not going to continue the thought. But last week we had talked about the Jerusalem Council there where Paul and Barnabas and others were were gathered together to really discuss a very important matter within the church. The situation of grace versus legalism was at hand and we had a great discussion about that last week in the service as well as during EQ time. But today we're going to kind of continue the thought because that council is over and this is right before Paul and Barnabas or Paul is about to set forth on a second missionary journey And what we're going to encounter today is something that all of us have faced. Disagreement. How many have ever faced disagreements? Don't you love disagreements? It happens constantly. So let me start with a couple questions before we get into it today. Uh, What are some things that you have disagreed with someone else on? What are some things that you have disagreed with someone else on? I know it's opening a can of worms, so to speak. All right, Logan. Cereal is a soup. Cereal is a soup? Who said it's a soup? Was it you? Okay, what? What? Yeah, you disagree. You said it's a soup? It's not a soup. Like, that's just confusing me. Um, any, anybody else? Mary? Lights. Yes. Did you move my box? My meaningless box? It, mm. Wow. We'll have some words after church. I disagree with that. I walked in today. My meaningless box of trophies was gone. So mm. I was like, she yeah. <laughs> we just need to pray right now. <laughs> Side story. It's a disagreement. What else? What are some things we disagreed on? Aaron? So I to when, to mow the yard. when to mow the yard. Does it have to be like a certain height? Like, I think like once a year. Okay. Yeah. Once a week, once a year. That's a big... Well, I guess you could get some goats. You know, that could help. Um... No, let's not. What else? This is fun. Yes, Darlene. On remodeling. Oh, yeah. That's a huge disagreement. Uh, Megan? What? Beans in chili. Okay, all right. Let's start right there. All right. It is. It is. It uh, is. Who puts beans in their chili? Who does not put beans in their chili? Yes. Yeah, I mean. What, what's that? In chili. Oh, yeah, noodles in chili. I mean, that's true. It's a Midwest thing, okay? It's a certain aspect of the Midwest thing. This is uh, It's not chili mac. He's already getting out of hand. What else? I mean, we're already on this. Randy? When to take out, trash. To take out the trash. When it's full. When it's full? <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to elaborate on that. <laughs> right, this, this is getting good. This is getting good. All right. I mean, honestly, this is getting good. What, what, what else, Susan? Thermostat. Thermostat, low versus high, cold versus hot. Yeah, that's a big one. Violet, whether math is fun or not. That's a good, big disagreement right there. Marcus, where to park? Where to park? What? Where to park at the store? Are you the ones that like in the very, very back? He's just trying to get exercise. okay to help with that why don't you drop your lovely wife off and then you go park in the back and then go get the truck and then pick her up okay (laughs) i'm trying to help here people (laughs) we're going somewhere with this jordan scratching okay yeah (laughs) they don't disagree yet whoa i saw those faces we, I mean, we can pull you guys up during EQ when it's not on live, all right? Uh, Ryan, you got something else? Animals on the couch. Animals on the couch. Ooh. Only if, clean. Only if they're clean. For some people, it's never at all. Man. Whew. All right, let's, let's do like one or two. I, I have to get with the message today. Anybody else? Disagreements. Anybody else want to say anything? Michael? Your mustache. <laughs> That's more than just a disagreement. That's controversy right there. His mustache. Nobody
1: disagrees. We all agree.
0: Where's Christina? Is she gone? She's not in here. Okay. That was good. We're just gonna end it on that one, okay? Um, um, okay. Let Let me. I know we can go crazy on this one too. With that being said, what are some maybe disagreements that church members often have or within the church culture that we often have? We'll we'll elaborate more in EQ on this one. Rodney? Style of music. Style of music. Yes, it's a big one right there for sure. Anybody else? Pews. Pews. Mary wants to go back to Pews. (laughs) No, she doesn't. She doesn't. I just want you guys to keep them straight. All right? My OCD-ness is getting the best of me sometimes. Violet? passive aggressiveness in church. All right. What else? All right. Go ahead. Version of the Bible. Of the Bible. That's a big one. <laughs> Stepping on some toes here today. <laughs> if the pastor should wear boots or not. No, he's not going to. Uh, Megan. <laughs> Sorry. What? Dress code. Dress code. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Please don't wear your swim trunks in here. Let's just, let's just draw the line there at least. Alan working on Sundays. Is that for the person sitting next to you? Okay. All right. (laughs) This is getting good today. I know this is getting good. What else? Church disagreements or whatever. Yes, Carmen. When to have the Lord's Supper, that's a good one. Uh, What else? Maybe one more. Thermostat. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I definitely can't please you all with that one. Like, I, I see some people, like, fanning themselves and some people wrapped up in a blanket. Like, what are you going to do? Uh, just bring an extra pocket, I guess. Uh, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that I think we can all agree the fact that we disagree, right? Even the best of us disagree. Uh, even in marriages, there are a lot of disagreements. Again, all of us that have been married or are married or hope to be married, you're going to disagree. It's part of life unless you're Andrew and Jordan and you never disagree, right? Eh, Yeah, exactly. At the altar at the end, okay? Um, But even even a step further, I think we can all agree on this fact that Christians can't seem to get along with one another, right? Sometimes we are the worst about it than anyone else. You know, why is that? That's such a deep theological debate, and we'll try to unpack that a little bit later. Leslie Flynn, uh, back in the 70s, he wrote a book, and I haven't read it, but I've read some Uh, excerpts from it, and it's a very intriguing title. The book was titled Great Church Fights. (laughs) It makes makes me want to read it for sure from this. But in this book, there's a couple stories that I, I, I read from it, but one story he tells of two porcupines in the freezing north woods that huddled together to keep warm. When they got close, their quills pricked each other and they had to move apart. They needed each other for their warmth, but what happened was they needled each other with their quills. And he continued on, and he said, church members are often like the porcupines. We need each other, but oftentimes we needle each other. And there are a lot of Christians that have come with some good points, but we just cannot hear them because we disagree. And all of that to be said this morning is because what we're going to look at in just these six verses is a very sharp disagreement between two prominent leaders within the early church, Paul and Barnabas. Now, what we've known throughout this series thus far is Paul and Barnabas have been very integral leaders within the early church, especially at the church at Antioch. They were sent out. They had been together for some time, many, many years. This wasn't like they were just together for a couple weeks or a couple months. And Luke does a great job of painting this picture. And One thing he does not do, and we'll kind of look at that as we continue on this morning, but he doesn't necessarily tell us who is right and who is wrong. Here's the thing that I've learned about disagreements, that, again, two people can disagree, and yet both of them can be right. I know that's contrary to some beliefs, because some people say, no, the other person cannot be right, only one winner. But two people can disagree, and yet both of them can be right on their points, but they also can both be wrong. And that's what we're going to try to see today a little bit within this passage. And what I want to talk about more than just the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas is something else that's going to come up within this text. And I want you to write this down because it's the main idea within our text this morning and within the passage. Bad experiences. You ever had a bad experience with anything? Yeah, I think all of us have. And some people have had bad experience within church. Bad experiences don't have to define us but they can refine us. And that's really what we're going to try to unpack this morning. That bad experiences don't have to define us, but they can refine us, and they should refine us. Here in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, follow along with me, if you would, just in your Bibles as I read these verses, and we'll try to jump into it this morning. And some days after So right there, what we know is like right after this Jerusalem council, after everything had taken place, after Paul and Barnabas and others had had sent the letters to the Galatians and other churches there in the regions, the Gentiles, understanding that, hey, there's nothing you have to add to your, your salvation. Your salvation is significant. It's enough. Jesus is sufficient. Some days after, this could have been weeks, this could have been months, we're not really sure, but a while after this council, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city. So what Paul wanted to do was wanted to go back to the churches that were established and really start his second missionary journey, uh, to see the brethren, uh, to see those that have accepted Christ and the churches that were established there, as well as start other churches. So he says, I want to see the brethren in every city uh, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. We want to see how they're doing. That's a good thing. Verse number 37, here's the start of the argument, the disagreement. Barnabas determined to take with him John. So this is John, John Mark, uh, also known as Marcus in the Bible. There's, he's got three names, so he's definitely got an identity problem. Um, the, the reason he has three names is he's got Roman name, Greek name, Jewish name, all these different things, and that's oftentimes in the Bible. Sometimes they're referred to as different individuals based on the culture in which they're in at that present time. So Barnabas wanted to take with him John, John Mark, and we saw briefly about this in chapter 12 and chapter 13 uh, when they started their first missionary journey and John Mark had left, uh, when what, we, what we assume when things got tough and things got difficult. Verse number 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them. So Paul did not want to take John Mark with him, who departed from them from Pamphylia. Now we don't know the extent of why he departed, but for whatever reason, what we know is that it really didn't set well with Paul. He didn't like the fact that John Mark had left. For whatever reason, he didn't like this. So Barnabas, he is uh, family to him. He is uh, probably the cousin of John Mark, and and there's a lot to be said about that. So he wants to bring his cousin back along, give him a second chance. Paul's like, no, there ain't no way. Uh, This guy's failed me once. You know, shame on him, shame on me, whatever. It's not going to happen again. So Paul thought it not good to take him with him, who departed from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. Verse 39, and the contention was so sharp. So here's where we see it. The contention was so sharp, this sharp uh, pointed uh, disagreement between the two of them. So just imagine the times in your life where you've had a sharp, controversial disagreement between someone else, whether it's a spouse or just anyone else. That's the contention that is going on here between two Christian men of the faith and two prominent leaders within the early church that they departed asunder. So they split ways because the controversy and the contention was so great. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll unpack this passage this morning. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me for the next few minutes this morning as we Uh, try to unpack this uh, small passage, uh, but as we kind of look back at what set this up and also some future things with this as well, help us to learn the important principles that we need to learn. One very important thing is that all of us are going to disagree at times. There's never going to be a time when we're all fully in agreement all of the time for the rest of our days. Unity is an important thing within the church, but help us to realize that there are times where Christian leaders and Christian Ministry individuals can disagree. They can both be right, both be wrong, but there are principles that we can learn. And even if we have a bad experience or something has happened in our past, help us to learn that it does not have to define us, but those opportunities are there to refine us, to make us more like Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, bless us this morning. We love you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Again, Paul and Barnabas are about to set off on their second missionary journey. And again, Verse 37 says that Barnabas wanted, he was determined to take John called Mark. He was determined. You know, when I I think of determined, I think of someone that is stubborn. He wanted this to happen. Uh, This was very important to him. But verse 39, the contention was so sharp between them, this sharp disagreement that they separated, they departed asunder. You know, we get our our English word uh, paroxysm from the Greek word used here for contention or sharp disagreement. And what this is meaning is this, it's a sudden violent outburst, and it gives some idea to the intensity of the disagreement. So this wasn't just, you know what, I want to take Barnabas, or I want to take John Mark. No, I don't want to take John Mark. And okay, well, let's just split ways. No, I mean, this was controversial. This was heated. Again, think of those that are married, think of some heated debates that you've got into with your spouse. Uh, I mean, this is kind of what's going on here is a very heated, very intense debate. Now again, let's give some background concerning this. Back in Acts chapter 12, we don't have to turn there right now, but back in Acts chapter 12, we learned that Barnabas and Saul brought together this young man of the faith, John Mark. Uh, They wanted him to go on the first missionary journey. Uh, He was the the son of Mary. Now this wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. This was another Mary. Now it's very interesting when you study all church history and put it all together. Uh, This Mary was the same Mary whose house the disciples prayed when Peter was in prison back in Acts chapter 12. How remember that story where he was in prison James had just been beheaded by Herod. So this is the the mother of John Mark. Acts chapter 13 verse 13 tells us that John Mark went back to Jerusalem after they had started the journey for whatever reason it doesn't Luke doesn't specify but he left. He went back uh, to Jerusalem instead of going on to Perga. And honestly, you know, it's very speculative even today. You know, what we do know is that it did not set well with Paul. And this is where our story picks up. And again, from Paul's perspective, based on what he knew in the past, what happened in the past with John Mark, he's like, you know what? I am done. I am done with this individual. I'm not bringing him along on the second journey. You know what? He has is, he is messed up or he has failed. Uh, he left me. I can't count on him. I'm done. You know, it's basically what Ryan did last week in EQ. I'm done. I'm leaving, right? Exactly. Perfect illustration. Uh, it's like you know my, my son Noah half the time and this isn't really biblical but you know it's like I can see Noah in this picture like see you later, loser. Uh, that's not what Paul did here. but uh, that that's the picture that we get here. So Paul is done. He doesn't want anything to do with John Mark. Barnabas, Wants to give his cousin a second chance. Paul's like, no way, there's no way I'm going to do this. So they split into two teams. You got Paul and Silas, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. They go to Syria, they go to Cilicia. You got Barnabas and John Mark, they go to Cyprus. Now, there's so much here to unpack. The question is who is right, who is wrong? Is it Paul, is it Barnabas? I have read a lot concerning this this week. I have listened to a lot of messages concerning this and, and read a lot of notes And a lot of great theologians disagree on this point. There are some of the camp that say, Paul is right, and they give valid arguments. There are some that say Barnabas is right, and they give valid arguments. You know, we'll try to unpack this, but here's just a quick side note. While the sharp disagreement between the two heroes of our faith could cause some concern, we should be thankful that Luke is revealing to us their humanity. You know, it's very easy to put certain individuals in scriptures on pedestals, right? And think that they are so far above uh, failure and messing up. They're not. He is putting their humanity on display. And Luke is willing to record these events for us. Even prominent leaders in the church disagree from time to time. They're imperfect men. So a couple things let's, let's, let's unpack quickly. First of all, about who is right, Paul or Barnabas. Paul, he looked at the ministry and I'll explain this. You know, reaching people with the gospel was a very important aspect of Paul's ministry. Not that it wasn't with Barnabas, but understanding where Paul came from. He was serious. Not that he probably didn't like to have a good time, didn't like to joke around, but Paul was a very serious individual. And just imagine this. Uh, If you're on a very serious journey, you've got a very important job in front of you. You want someone that is with you that you can count on, right? I mean, typically speaking. So understand that context from Paul. He's seen this in the past that they went on this journey. It's going to be difficult. It's not for the faint of heart. They're going to meet opposition. There's going to be uh, uh, trouble along the way. It's going to be an arduous journey. uh, Very, very difficult. So you need someone you can depend on. So he is looking at it from a ministry perspective. Look, reaching people with the gospel is not for the faint of heart. It's hard work. It's serious. And Paul's orientation to the ministry was so gospel-centric that the emotions and opinions of other people didn't have the same importance that they had towards or for Barnabas. Um, I'll turn quickly to Galatians. Uh, I'll try to explain this. Again, there's a lot of unpacking this morning before we really get to the, to the main part of the application. Uh, Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. There's so much in Galatians, and I'll try not to spend too much time here. But starting in verse number 8, it says, "...but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." So he is talking about the seriousness of the gospel. As we said before, so say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. So understanding that the gospel is important. Don't let people deter you, sidetrack you with the false gospel." And I love verse 10. This is a verse that has stuck with me in my life many times over. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And again, there's there's context within this, but I have looked at this passage many times over in my life, and I have taken this verse to heart that, you know what? It's very easy to be people pleasers, right? We want to please other individuals. But this gives us an idea of how serious Paul is about the gospel and about reaching people with the gospel that, hey, you know what? I'm not living to please other people. I'm not living to to do what other people want of me. I'm living to, to please God. And if I'm not pleasing God, then I'm not a true servant of Christ that I needed to be. So again, Paul is looking at the ministry perspective. He is seeing that this is serious. I need someone that I can count on. From Barnabas on the flip side, he is looking at the man. And this is important as well. You know, I think that there were some family uh, reasons that had to do with this. You know, I think because he was a cousin, uh, that's got to carry some weight. But I think it's more than that. Barnabas looked at John Mark through the eyes of grace. He knew that God was a God of second chances, and I am thankful for that. I am thankful that God hasn't given up on me in the times that he should have sometimes. So I think of Barnabas that he is looking at John Mark, and you know what? He's messed up, yes, he has failed, he's let us down. But he deserves a second chance. And there's even two sides of that in our church culture today. Because you have some individuals, they mess up, they sin. uh, I mean, horrible things happen. Cast them off! I want nothing to do with them. Well, I get that, but at the same time, that's wrong. Then you have some like, you know what, let's not really address the sin, the issue, and let's just give them a second chance without ever addressing it. That's wrong. You know, you have to address the sin, you have to address the situation. But again, God is a God of second chances. So, in understanding Barnabas, he is placing a heavy importance on relationships. And relationships are important. Now, stay with me here. Paul placed a heavy importance on the truth. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. Now, sometimes there are individuals in churches just like Barnabas that are very encouraging, very people-oriented people oriented But sometimes to their own demise, they are very vulnerable to minimizing the importance of truth for the sake of relationships. And Barnabas could have been one of those individuals. Paul was looking at the truth of it all, that he's failed, not saying he can't be uh, proactive and useful in the future, but he has failed. That's the truth of it. I need someone that I can count on. And Barnabas says, you know what? Uh, he's an individual. Yes, he's failed, but we need to to bring him along. We need to give him a second chance. So again, who's right? Who's wrong? They're they're both right in their own issue, and they're both wrong. Now, again, stay with me here. If you're a people-oriented individual, you're probably going to move towards Barnabas' side, that Barnabas is right. If you're a task-oriented individual, you want to get the job done, you're going to move towards Paul, saying, Paul was right, You know, if someone messes up in a a job situation, boom, they're done. I'm not going to give them a second chance because I need someone I can depend on. So even even in this church, there's probably individuals that are probably easily siding with Paul and easily siding with Barnabas. Both Paul and Barnabas had a great point. Neither were wrong, so to speak. And again, it's possible for good men to see things differently. We don't like that because we like to have one winner, not two winners. And it's tough to grasp the idea of two influential men in this establishment of the church having such a heated, violent disagreement. But at the same time, we have to learn to see the bigger picture. That God worked through this situation. Now remember when they were first starting out on the journey that it was just Paul and Barnabas and they were about to go off on the second journey. So even though they're disagreeing and they left disagreeing, didn't really uh, solve anything, they left. Now, what happened? They went from one team to two teams. Now, now think about that. That, That's still important. You see, God still works providentially to get the gospel out. So even though they were both disagreeing and they were both heated about this, instead of having one team that's only going to minister to so many people, now they have two teams and they can reach even more people even though there is this sharp disagreement. Now, the most obvious working of good is that two missionary journeys were launched, rather than just one. That means twice as much being done, twice as much being accomplished. God's word and work is sometimes advanced through disagreement. Case in point, church splits, right? Uh, I'm not going to park on that one, but there have been a lot of church splits, even in Decatur. Good reason, bad reason. But regardless, if the gospel is still going forward, God can still use those things, can he? We have to understand that. It's very easy for us, you know what? These people split from the church, and you know what? You know, they're done, I'm done with them. I'm not for all these church splits. I'm not for that at all. But even knowing that, the, the gospel still goes forward. And there are churches even in this community that have maybe split off of other churches that are still reaching people with the gospel, aren't they? They are. And we have to understand that. They might not be doing things the way that we would do it, or we would disagree with, but if people are being saved, isn't that one of the most important things? It is. So even though there are individuals even in this town that I don't agree with on a theological degree, uh, if the gospel is going forward, if people are being saved and disciple, praise God for that. More people can be reached with that. Again, I'm not saying that let's let's have another church split. That's not what I'm saying today. But here's what we discovered. I'm about to get to the application because this is very important. Even though Christians worship the same Lord, the same risen Lord, we don't always agree on every point. And on issues of deep personal conviction, the disagreements can often be very sharp. Now, reading these verses, it doesn't give us a lot. So we have to go a little bit deeper. And the story doesn't end here. And what I want to drive home today for the application, I want to look at John Mark. Mark, John, John Mark, Marcus, whatever you want to call him. And I want to look at the progression and the restoration of John Mark, because think about this. A couple years prior, he left. He left Paul and Barnabas, and for Paul, in his eyes, I'm done with you. You're worthless to me. Uh, You're of no good to me. He went back to Jerusalem. So after he left Paul and Barnabas, Mark ended up in Jerusalem. Anybody know who he ended up with? What apostle? Peter. Now, Peter was a good individual, and there's a lot to be said about that. We know that from 1 Peter chapter 5.18. Another thing, just in history, Mark wasn't one of those individuals that, you know what, something bad happened to me, so you know what, it's just going to get me down, and I'm never going to do anything for God. There's been a, and I'm, I'm trying not to go here this morning, but there's been a lot of individuals within church culture and churches that they had a bad experience, a bad ministry experience, and they allowed it to get them deterred, sidetracked, away from God, out of church. And I understand, and I've talked to many people over the years as a pastor, youth pastor, pastor's kid. I've seen this many times where people are like, you know what, I just had a bad ministry experience and I don't trust anyone. Okay, I get that. Now think of it from the perspective of John Mark. Paul, I mean, a a dynamite of the faith, right? I mean, you know, many of us, like he's the Christian of all Christians for, for some people. Imagine that. So in Paul's eyes, you're of no good to me. So imagine if someone in your life that you look up to, you're of no good to me. What's your reaction? Typically it's I'm worthless. I'm useless. I'm useless. You know, this this individual they don't trust me anymore. And it could have been very easy for John Mark to, you know what? I'm done, right? Couldn't it have? Yes. And that's the stuff that's happened in church history. Someone wrote someone off and you know what? I'm done. But the thing I love about John Mark's story is that it didn't end there. It didn't end there with John Mark. John Mark went back with Peter. Peter spent time with him. And eventually, you know the Gospel of Mark? It was written by John Mark. That's very important. Now, John Mark didn't spend time with Jesus. He was after Jesus. But he spent time with Peter, who spent time with Jesus. So when you read and study the Gospels, you understand that Peter was basically retelling some of the events, the stories that happened when Peter was growing up with Jesus in those three and a half years. And then, as a scribe, so to speak, John Mark was writing it down. So that's important. He could have easily said, You know what? I am done. I am done with Christianity, as some have. I am writing it off. Everyone is the same. Not everyone is the same. All right? Just because uh, you've had a pastor that's messed up or a pastor that, you know, was very demeaning and demanding of you, doesn't mean everyone is like that. Just because you have a Christian that is very harsh in some things and they can't keep their mouth shut, doesn't mean everyone is like that, okay? There are problems everywhere. I wasn't just looking at you, Ryan, okay? Um, But there are problems everywhere. And again, it's it's very easy for us to say, you know what? Because this person is like that, I'm going to lump everyone into that, right? We've seen that even in our culture. With all the things and the politics and everything that's going on in our country in the past year. Well, because you're of this race, then you're all like that. No, that's not true. And we have to understand that. And again, for, from John Mark's perspective, and I want, you to, I want this to get through our heads today. He could have easily said, you know what? Paul, he's counted me off. And Paul is a great hero of the faith. Uh, Paul is serious and, and God is using Paul. and He's already seen this in the 10 plus years that Paul's been saved you know, he, if he's written me off, I'm nothing. But he didn't allow his story to end there. And really, you think about it, as he, as he wrote the Gospel of Mark, it's pretty cool because the one who once neglected to serve, listen to this, the one who once neglected to serve, John Mark himself, wrote a Gospel emphasizing Jesus as the great servant. Uh, you might not think that's cool, but I I do. And think about, what about the relationship with Paul? What happened here? Now, we do know in history and studying our Bibles that Paul later developed a respect and love for John Mark later in life. Colossians 4 talks about that. We know that Mark worked closely with Paul during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Philemon 23 and 24 tells us about that when he's in prison, that he he is sending letters and, hey, I want Mark to come back here because uh, there's something important about him. He is is not useless anymore. And perhaps the most touching part of Paul's references to Mark comes in 2 Timothy. When Paul wrote his second letter to a young pastor, he was literally in the bottom of a pit or a dungeon. Here, chains uh, shackled him to the grimy walls behind him. He couldn't really see much of the daylight. Paul knew his execu- execution was imminent, which means it was going to happen quickly. He only had a short time left in his, in his life. And when he wrote in 2 Timothy, he was writing to really set his affairs in order, to give his last words to, to Timothy and to the church. This letter is very personal. And towards the end of the book, Paul gives a list of personal instructions to young Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, 11, Paul is writing, he said, Luke alone is with me. But then he says, get Mark. Bring him with you because he is useful for me. He is useful for me in ministry. And I love that phrase for Paul. He is admitting basically that he was wrong. That this guy wasn't useful in the past, but is now useful. Now, another side, side thing. It's very important. And we, I, want, I want you to understand that we should be very careful which bridges we burn in life. Now, that's another message entirely. But a lot of times when someone hurts us, we immediately light a fire to that relationship, right? Boom, that bridge is burned. But what happens if God gets a hold of their heart or God gets a hold of your heart and the restoration can come back? You know, one thing I've tried and, and, you know, I've I've learned this well from my dad. I've tried over the years when people have left and I've had a lot of people leave. I've had a lot of people go off on me uh, in this room, in my office. My office has moved several times. But in the three offices that I've had since I've been here, I've had a lot of controversy. I've had a lot of people go off on me in those rooms and say some very demeaning things, some things that Christians should never say. And it would have been very easy for me to just "Mm," lash out and attack them. But one thing I have tried very hard to do is keep my mouth shut in some ways. Because one thing I don't want to do is burn a bridge when God might want to restore something later. And I've even seen that with an individual, and I've shared it with a couple people. Something that happened several years ago when someone came back about a year ago, and it just blew me out of the way, blew me out of the water, because they came back to apologize. Someone that went off on me and just blasted me came back to apologize and said, you know what, first and foremost, I want you to know that I just got saved. I wasn't saved. When that happened. And I was excited to hear that. But I was like, man, praise God. Like, that's that's awesome. Because God did a work in you and you realized that you were wrong and you came back to make it right. But if I, I would have burned the bridge, that individual would have never come back and never told me. And maybe it could have affected them getting saved in the future because I was just as mean and violent as they were. But going back, despite everything that happened at Pamphylia, back in Acts chapter 13, The emotionally violent disagreement over Mark in Acts chapter 15. At the end of Paul's life, Paul found Mark to be very useful. The man he wanted to leave behind years before had become highly valuable to him. What a change. You know, Paul had grown in his own right. He had matured. He had grown in grace. And it's a beautiful picture of love, of grace, of perseverance, of restoration, here we have this man, John Mark, who clearly messed up in the abandonment of Paul and Barnabas in the first missionary journey. In many cases, individuals like him would have just uh, tucked their head between their, their, their legs and just ran off and just, you know what, I'm done. Uh, this hurt me. This affected me. I'm done with church. I'm done with all Christians. I've seen a lot of individuals like that. You have too. Maybe you've been one of those. Maybe you're still one of those right now. But the process of sanctification is an awesome thing. That God is trying to bring people closer to him. So quickly, as as I close this up, because this, this this is the important part of the message. What can we learn from all of this? What is God trying to teach us? Here's a few things that really go together. First and foremost, past failures don't have to define us. Past failures don't have to define us. I want that to sink in. Because let's look at it from John Mark's Mark's perspective. He had failed in the past. He had failed, messed up with Paul, with Barnabas. And it could have been very easy for him again to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with this Christianity. I'm turning my back on God. I have seen that time and time again with individuals and churches. He had a bad experience. Something bad happened to him. and, And, you know, put your own situation here. It doesn't even have to be in a church culture. It could be in life. Maybe you had something that was a huge mistake in your past or in your present. Now listen to me, that does not have to define you. Your failure, your shortcoming, your sin, your mistakes, whatever you want to call it, does not have to define you. But a lot of times we allow the past to define us. Well, I messed up here, so that's who I am. That's not who you have to be. John Mark could have been, I'm a failure. I'm no good for nothing. Uh, I'm quitting. But he didn't, did he? He did not let that define him. And again, how easy is it for us to allow a past failure to define you? How easy is it to allow what someone else thinks of you to define you? Again, we can park on that for a while. But it's important to realize that past failures don't have to define us. Listen, we can grow, we can mature, we can be useful in the future, even if we failed in the past. And I am thankful for that. And I've met individuals in my life that failed miserably in the past. And at the time, they probably thought they were worthless and that they were no good for nothing, that God was never going to use them again. But that doesn't have to be the end of your story. God can still use you. He wants to use you. So first and foremost, past failures don't have to define us. Second thing, and we're going to unpack these more in a few minutes in EQ. Second thing is this. Listen to this. Don't dismiss a bad experience. Learn to define it by grace. Don't dismiss a bad experience. So here's what I mean. We have these bad experiences that happen to us and it's very easy. You know what? Just, I'm, I'm dismissing it. I'm not going to think about it. Learn to define it for what it is, to realize that, okay, this was a bad experience. You know, I think of, uh, you know, in, in the, even in the ministry aspect, I was listening to a set of podcasts, a series of podcasts that were on bad ministry experiences that had nothing to do with this passage, but just talking about mad, bad ministry experience, it was for spiritual leaders, from spiritual leaders, from, uh, you know, pastors, and and really for pastors, and missionaries, and evangelists, and things like that, um, and they were talking about things that happen within the church, whether it be a staff situation, uh, just something that really hurt them in their past. And the part of the the podcast, it was three episodes, probably about two, two and a half hours long uh, entirely, but it was talking about the aspect of we shouldn't allow these things, or we shouldn't just write them off. You know what, I'm just going to dismiss it like it never happened. No, 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 it happened. Understand that it happened. So even in your own life, understand that something bad in our life, a horrible experience. Um, and there's so many things that I'm thinking of. You know, you think of, um, it could be, a, it's not a simple thing, but losing a job, breaking up with someone, uh, losing a marriage, those are bad things, aren't they? And it could be very easy to say, you know what? Because It happened in the past. It's obviously going to happen in the present and the future. So you know what? I'm just done. We don't have to let those things define us. We don't have to let those things get a hold of our lives. And, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is this. Failure in our lives, all of us fail. All of us mess up. But failure is not final. So even if you failed, even if you have failed, I mean, even think about it in school. You, you fail a test, doesn't mean you have to take every grade over, right? No, that would be horrible. <laughs> You know, you get all the way to 10th grade, you fail a test. Boom, you got to start back in first grade, all the way through. That'd be awful. Failure is not final. We can learn from that, right? So we have to look at the bad experience, learn to define it, instead of allowing it to define us. So I think the question we need to ask is things like this. What is God trying to teach me in this bad experience? How can this event, this moment, this tragedy refine me instead of define me. This bad experience doesn't have to be the end. Define it for what it is. Learn that there is more to your story than the bad experience and the past failure. And, and I love this. Past failures and sin can disqualify you from certain aspects of service. The Bible is clear on that, but listen to this. Don't ever let anyone tell you that a past failure has ultimately disqualified you from serving God. Don't ever let anyone tell you that a past failure has ever disqualified you from serving God. There are certain aspects of our service that the Bible is clear that you cannot serve in those areas because the Bible is clear on those things. But never let someone say, because you messed up, because you failed, because you sinned, you can never serve God, just go ahead and just do whatever. That's wrong. That's unbiblical. Many preachers and evangelists and missionaries have sent people away instead of trying to bring them back into God. Look, we must differentiate between the two. God still wants to use us mightily despite our failures. And aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. I've had many failures and it would take me a long time to talk about the list of failures that I have in my life. You have failures. Uh, I I can look out today and just, I'm not trying to be mean, but just look at all the faces And really, you can just see failure after failure after failure, but that doesn't have to define you. That's not who you are. Christ doesn't see, oh, there's another one of my failures. That's not how he looks at us. He looks at us so much differently. You're not a failure. No, you're my child and I love you and you are redeemed, and you are forgiven, and I want to mold you, and I want to sanctify you, and I want to bring you more like me, and I want to grow you in this. So we have to realize that those bad experiences aren't the end. Allow us to realize that there's so much more to our story. So what is God trying to teach me in this? What is this situation that happened to me today or yesterday or last week or last month or 10 years ago? What can I learn from that? And there are so many people that aren't even in church today that should be because they have allowed their past to define them and they can't get over their past. I'm never going to be anything for God, I'm never going to amount to anything. That's wrong. John Mark, he amounted to something, didn't he? I mean, someone that wrote a book in the Bible, that's that's pretty important, that's pretty significant. So so let me close with this, and there's so much more we can talk about. Bad experiences, again, don't have to define you, but they can refine you. The gospel, here's what the gospel does. The gospel redeems, the gospel heals, and the gospel carries us forward. And this is the message today, and I'm thankful for this. That the gospel, understanding the gospel, living the gospel, redeems us from our past, from our mistakes. It heals us. There are some people that are still stuck on a situation that happened 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, and they can't let it go. But if you learn to saturate yourself in the gospel, you can realize that God can heal you, and He wants to heal you from those things. Whether it be your own mistake, or someone else's mistake. And I've seen that growing up in a pastor's home, that some people have allowed what my dad said, or what I said, or what other individuals said to define them, and they don't they they, they they keep harping on it, I mean, there's certain people that I talk to. I honestly, I hate talking to them because all they 're going to do is bring up some situation twenty years ago they can 't get over, and i 'm sure everyone else is like that. No, not everyone else is like that i 'm sorry you had a bad experience i 'm sorry something horrible happened to you in the past, but that 's not who you are that 's not who you have to be. The gospel will redeem you, it can heal you, and it carries us forward. It helps push us into new directions and new avenues and new sites and helps us get to where God wants us to be. For John Mark, there's more to your story. I want you to go back with Peter. Yes, uh, for whatever reason you left, there could have been a whole multitude of reasons and there's a lot of things that I read in my study this week and I don't want to get into all of those because it's, it can be controversial because we don't know. Regardless, he went back to Jerusalem. He spent one time with Peter. And Peter probably began pouring into him and helping Understand that, hey, you're not a failure. Yes, you messed up, but you're not a failure. And he helped the healing process. And again, it carried him forward because he did great things for God in the future. So no matter what's happened to you in the past, understand that God is here in your present, in your future. And he wants to push you forward. He wants to carry you forward. And and I think of the Apostle Paul later in his life as he's writing to the Philippians, What what did he say? I think it was Philippians 3, 14, 3, 13, 14. Forgetting those things which are behind, right? You know what? I got to forget about everything that's happened in the past because the past, I'm going to blow you away, is the past. It's not your present. That's who I am. No, that's not. Yes, you messed up in the past. That's the past. Doesn't mean you have to continue on that path. Doesn't mean that's who you have to be in the present or in the future, and that's what Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are before, I press toward the mark. You know what? There are certain things about my past that I don't like, and again, before he was saved, he was a wicked individual. He was a terrorist. He terrorized the church, and I'm sure Paul had to get over that, and that's why I think he says, you know, I have to die daily of myself, of my flesh, because I'm sure those thoughts were creeping in that, man, I am useless. I am worthless. I am no good for nothing. I I helped kill individuals like Stephen. He could have really allowed that to define him, but he didn't. He allowed the gospel to define him. And the gospel redeemed him, healed him, and helped carry him forward, and it can carry you forward as well.